Good afternoon. This sermon would have been missed by those who were here on Sunday because I was sick and unable to deliver it. So I'm recording it for the podcast for those who want to catch up or our regular podcast listeners. Well, many of you will have seen the recent movie Avengers Endgame, or you may have at least heard of it, probably seen a billboard. This movie is very popular, it's the second highest grossing movie of all time, and this is the combination of over 20 Marvel superhero films we've had over the last decade, all of them leading up to this one, which is the final battle of our heroes against the big supervillain Thanos. And on the way, there have been many lesser villains for the heroes to contend with, but this is the big one, to finish it all up, hence the name Endgame. And today we're coming in our own series to the big ending of the book of Jeremiah. So you might perhaps call this Jeremiah Endgame. And like the Marvel movies, Jeremiah finishes with a confrontation with the biggest villain of all in Jeremiah's world, which is the Empire of Babylon. So this is how we're going to finish our series on his book this term. But how did we get here? Just a quick recap. So Jeremiah is the story of one of the prophets of Judah. He was called to give a message to his people in a time of national devastation. And the nation of Judah, which included the holy city of Jerusalem, was under threat from the Babylonian Empire who were conquering everyone in the Middle East. And Jeremiah understood from God that Judah would be defeated by Babylon and go into exile, and that this defeat would be a judgment on Judah for the way they'd failed and declined as a nation. The judgment, the truth, was that they had lost the love of God and of each other. However, as we've seen as we've gone on, this judgment was part of the way that God was actually working with these people to bring repentance and a new start out of their time of exile and to look forward to a time of restoration in the future. And in the final section of Jeremiah, what happens is that Uh, he turns his attention away from this focus on Judah to the wider world and how that also comes under the judgment of God. And as he does this, we realise it's not just Judah who has failed, but every nation and every group of people. In chapter 1, Jeremiah was called, as we heard, to be a prophet to the nations, and this is where we see this happening. He learns that the entire world of the time is under the same judgment, the same predicament as Judah, and is destined to fall. And so in the last chapter, chapters, we have Jeremiah delivering prophecies against all the nations around Judah as well. Egypt, the Philistines, Moab, the Ammonites, Edom, Damascus, Elam. And finally, a word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah against the mighty city, the biggest city of all. Babylon. And Babylon was the largest city in the world at the time. The biggest army, the biggest economy, everything. And Babylon, the one who was destroying other nations, Jeremiah says, is also going to be destroyed. Now, while you may have never heard of Elam or Moab, you probably recognize the name Babylon because it's still a commonly used word today. And the reason for this is because Babylon became commonly used in the Bible as a symbol for kind of evil, oppressive civilizations, you know, of the worst kind. 
So the Babylonians were the ones who destroyed Jerusalem, and so in the eyes of the biblical prophets, they were the worst of the worst. And everything that was bad about human empires and against about the world, that is against God and against people, that was symbolized for them by this one city, Babylon. And so Babylon is a kind of symbolic and significant city in the same way that, for example, a city like New York or London or Moscow would have been at various times and perhaps still are. The city of Babylon is a symbol for the way of life that it represents. Version of the baptism ceremony, I think the one that was used when I was baptised, the candidates are encouraged to fight bravely sin, the world and the devil. And those three things are the famous triad of the enemies of Christ, often called the world, the flesh and the devil. So these are the three adversaries that we have to contend with if we follow Jesus. So firstly, we battle against the flesh, which is our own sin inside us. We battle the spiritual forces, the devil around us, and also the world in which we live. And so today as we think about Babylon, we're talking about this idea of the world. And the world in this context not mean, doesn't mean the earth, it means human society. Whenever that society is organized in a way that rejects God, in a way that oppresses vulnerable people, and persecutes people who try to follow Jesus. So the world in the Bible is military empires, political dictatorships, countries who rob and kill and enslave others, and the economic system that we live in that grinds poor people into the dust. All of that is what we mean by the world. And of course the world then is hostile to Christ because he challenges the world as its king. And in the Bible, Babylon then means all of that, the world, wherever we find it. That's what the symbol means. For instance, if you go back to the book of Genesis, you'll find uh, Babylon mentioned several times. Uh, you may have heard of the Tower of Babel, Babylon, in Genesis 11. This is a giant temple tower that the people who lived in the area of Babylon built to reach up to the heavens, essentially an aspirational tower to become gods themselves. And in this story, we read God puts a stop to that prideful building project by confusing their language. And so Babylon symbolizes this kind of attempt that humans have to make ourselves godlike in defiance of our created nature. In the next chapter of Genesis after that, we see that Abraham, who is the father, of course, of all God's people in the Bible, he leaves the land of Babylon where he was born to go out of it and to follow God's calling to live in a different way. And so in reading that, it's not surprising that Babylon is the great enemy of God's people in Jeremiah. And it's the arrogance of this city that is judged by God. As we read in verse 31 to 32. See, I am against you, you arrogant one, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty, for your day has come, the time for you to be punished. The arrogant one will stumble and fall, and no one will help her up. And, you know, Babylon was eventually destroyed. Quite soon after this prophecy, actually, Babylon was conquered by the Persian Empire in 539 BC, less than 50 years after Jerusalem was destroyed, which is not long at all. And Babylon was eventually abandoned 
and it remains a ruin to this day. As our reading finished, Jeremiah says, So desert creatures and hyenas will live there, and there the owl will dwell. It will never again be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation. And so I hope this context about Babylon and what it means in the Bible explains for us the extremely harsh language that we heard in our passage as Jeremiah prophesied against Babylon. It's not very nice for us to contemplate, as he did, armies surrounding a city and destroying it, and this fierce desire we hear to have revenge taken out on the people who live there. It's not a comfortable part of the Bible to read. But to get a sense of what that meant to Jeremiah, imagine the situation that happened at the end of the Second World War, as Berlin was surrounded by the Allies. You know, at that time there was this great city, which was the heart of the Third Reich, that had oppressed and destroyed the lives of millions of people around the world. This city was itself going to be conquered and devastated. And that was the sign of the ending of this era of evil of the Nazis. And that's how the Jews would have felt about the end of Babylon in their own day. So when we hear about the judgment of Babylon, what we are hearing is the righteous anger and judgment of God against everything in society that is cold, cruel, ruthless, oppressive, greedy, against these empires that are the enemies of life, that are the enemies of love, and that are the enemies of God. And that's how the early Christians understood the symbol of Babylon themselves. <coughs> and they used it to describe the same problem in the world of their own day. And if you read the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, in chapters 17 to 19, you'll find a very similar passage to our reading today, where again there is this vision of the city of Babylon being destroyed. Babylon in Revelation, it's the wealthy, unjust centre of the world and it is finally destroyed at the end. And most biblical commentators see this Babylon in Revelation as a code or a symbol for the Roman Empire, which was persecuting Christians at the time. Rome was behaving like Babylon in its own day. So this is what it means to talk about Babylon and its judgement. And what's the point of this then? It shows us, I think, that the writers of the Bible, both before Jesus and after him, were aware that there is a massive problem that stands in the way of the salvation of the world and the coming of the kingdom of God. Standing against Christ's way, against God's love, is the kingdom of the world. Babylon. The empires that rise and fall throughout history and all the political, social, cultural and economic structures that resist God's plan. These empires hold people captive and ruin their lives. They ruin the world itself and they take its wealth for themselves, leaving nothing behind. They are the enemies of God. And think for yourself, perhaps, where do we see these kind of empires at work in our world today? Perhaps we are part of this kind of system ourselves. As Jeremiah says, the world will face a reckoning for this. Like Judah and like God's people, we will not be allowed to go on forever pretending that nothing is wrong. Things are wrong in Babylon and they need to stop, and they will. So Jeremiah says in our reading, This is what the Lord Almighty says, The people of Israel are oppressed, and the people of Judah as well. All their captives hold them fast, refusing to let them go. Yet their Redeemer is strong. The Lord Almighty is his name. 
He will vigorously defend their cause so that he may bring rest to their land, but unrest to those who live in Babylon. So what I want to say today at the end of Jeremiah, as his lasting message to us, is that we know from him that God is absolutely and ultimately on the side of captives, the powerless and oppressed people of every kind. And so Babylon in this book is just a picture of everything in the world that holds us captive and refuses to let us go and to live as God wants us to. So I think that Babylon for us, it's everything that distorts our lives. So Babylon is sickness. Babylon is suffering. Babylon is hatred. Babylon is greed. Babylon is addiction. All of us are actually captives to Babylon in some way or another. And so it's good news, isn't it, to know that God is relentlessly pursuing Babylon to its destruction. Because behind the empires of the world that we see on the surface, there are older and deeper and darker representatives of evil at work. The spirit of Babylon is behind this, the worlds of sin and death and hell. And these are very tough enemies indeed. Yeah, we call the message of Jesus the good news, the gospel, that's what that means. And this comes from the word that was given to the kind of message that would be spread by a runner throughout the empire when something good happened. For instance, when a battle had been won, or a new emperor had been crowned. The good news of Jesus is that a battle has been won. Jesus died and rose from the dead. And because of that, even death, this cosmic Babylon that holds us captive, has been defeated. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. There's an old Easter prayer that also praises God for this. It says, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling upon death by death, and on those in the tombs bestowing life. Death itself is being destroyed like Babylon. And there's some indication in the New Testament that we can also see alongside this a reversal of the consequences of death, of sin, and the liberation of captives even beyond death. To those who are held in the world beyond death, those whose souls were waiting for liberation. This is an idea that might be new to some here, but in, in some way even hell itself is a Babylon that is to be defeated by Christ. There's an ancient Christian idea called the harrowing of hell. And this is the belief that after his resurrection, Jesus sort of blasted into hell like a conquering hero and set some people free. We read about this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 19. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, that, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. This is good news. 
even this final prison of the soul is going to be opened up. As Jesus said to his disciple Peter, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Like a great city, like Babylon, death and hell have strong gates that appear to be impregnable. But they will not hold up or prevail against Jesus. In the book of Revelation, he makes this point several times. For instance, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus says to John, I am the living one, I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So this idea of the harrowing of hell is a challenging idea and uh, needs more time one day, I think. But, <coughs> but it expresses this absolute confidence that Christians should have, that God has absolutely no patience with slavery and oppression of any kind, and that the victory of Christ over death and sin are real, and they extend as deep and as far as sin and death can be found. Christ came to destroy Babylon and everything it represents, including the powers that attempt to destroy our very lives and our very souls. So we should never hold in any part of the back of our mind that God has some kind of peace treaty with evil and will allow little bits of it to stay around in resistance to him forever. That we need to accept that Babylon in some sense will always be with us. It's just the way things are. So I want, I want, us, to encourage, I want us to be encouraged today that to become a Christian means to be like Abraham and to say we need to leave Babylon behind. The big system of the world, you know, and everything that it offers is not our salvation and it will not last forever. And if we put our hope in it, we too will find ourselves on the wrong side of history. But if, as many of us are, we are captives in Babylon and are waiting and hoping to be set free, let's hear the words of comfort that Jeremiah says. The people of Israel are repressed, and the people of Judah as well. All their captors hold them fast, refusing to let them go. Yet their Redeemer is strong. The Lord Almighty is his name. And we see in the book of Revelation what comes after Babylon has been destroyed, after death and hell have been defeated. At the end of Revelation, John had a vision of a new Jerusalem, a perfect city, the opposite of Babylon. In Revelation 21, he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from, from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. So, as we end the book of Jeremiah, it actually ends in quite a sad place. Things are breaking up. God's people fail, they accept lies, and the consequences of our actions catch up with us. Jeremiah looks forward and he sees judgment for his people and for the world around. But he knows that on the other side of this is the assurance that of the absolute goodness and love of God and the final and complete victory of life and love that will last into eternity.
Amén.